Well, welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio, your hosts Chris Honholtz and Richard Story joining you on the 7th of May 2022. We are 5 months into the new into this new year and uh wow, we've still got a really long way to go until the uh, the the uh, midterm elections and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. <laughs> Each week it goes by, but we are not a political show, so we won't go into that discussion. Maybe we'll do that another time, though. But we just want to thank you for joining us once again this week. And, and wow, you guys really, really had a lot to say about last week's episode with Michelle Leslie and Amy Spreeman. And by the way, if you are a listener of their program, you realize they share the same episode. We recorded it as a uh, crossover podcast, kind of like what we've done with uh, you guys over at Matters Theology or maybe uh, with Andrew Rappaport on his uh, his program. So just want to, in case you heard it twice, that's why. <laughs> but we really, really appreciate you joining us once again. Want to remind you, uh, we are part of the Christian podcast community. We will continue to remind you to go check them out. Excellent, excellent, uh, just ever-growing list of podcasts there. And uh, if you are a Christian podcaster, if you you know uphold sound biblical theology, if you believe that the Word of God is infallible, inerrant, sufficient, and inspired of the Holy Spirit, if you are holding to the uh, the Word of God is true of proclaiming the biblical gospel, I would encourage you to consider joining the the Christian podcast community. Go check it out. Make sure that you're, uh, you know, you, you know what you'd be getting yourself into, and if you if you would like to partner with like-minded believers in promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ, promoting biblical sound theology, even a podcast that has a Christian basis that has a biblical foundations, but maybe it's, you know, maybe maybe it's not necessarily theology based, but there's still uh, the biblical basis for what you're trying to uh, to get into. I would really, really encourage you to do so. Check out the pro, uh, that uh, podcast community. Check out what it means to be part of it, and uh, you know maybe join something where you can help promote other people who are trying to do what you're doing and trying to build up the Christian community. Uh, please, please check that out. And as a, by way of reminder, always we'd love to hear from you guys. You can always email us at voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com. Or you can check us out at slavetothekeng.com. That is where you can find all our co- uh, contact information, all our means of uh, supporting us, and you know the various social media links that you can link up to. So I just really want to encourage you to do those things. Thank you once again for being a part of our show. Uh, looking forward to having... I almost hate to say looking forward to tonight's discussion because it's going to be one of those that's... It's contentious because of the nature of the subject. In fact, I'm going to warn you up front. This is one of those topics that if you got little ones around, maybe, maybe, maybe listen to it later. We're not going to get salacious. We're not going to get into uh, anything gross or, or over the top. But it is a mature discussion. And so if you have little ones, you might want to consider listening to this uh, later time. You know, Just because... You may you may not be prepared to have those mature discussions with them just yet. So just something to put out there. 
So uh, once again, joined with my brother, Rich. So grateful to have him with us. I'll say, as I have said on many, many programs, Rich, there is no program without you. Grateful that you always get to be a part of this and grateful that you and I have been doing this for now, as we just said, this is going into our seventh year. So as I ask every uh, week, Rich, and I know your answer already, how you doing, brother? <laughs> Better than I deserve, brother. Yeah. <laughs> and I appreciate that. But I will have to say, I came across something this week, and it just kept popping up between some weird commercials <laughs> on different shows, and it popped up on Twitter, and it popped up in Facebook, and I just really, truly cannot understand what I see going on, and, it's a, and it seems to be some new trend of women not shaving their armpits. <laughs> I've got to say... That is just nasty, and it's gross. <laughs> and some of these gals look like they have a Sasquatch in a headlock. <laughs> I mean, it is nasty. And everybody wrecked their cars as they tried to change the station. Thank you for that image this week, brother. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, but it just flabbergasted me. I mean, and it was like all of a sudden, and I don't know, this may have been going on for quite a while, but it's like this week, every time I turned around, there it was. <laughs> and I'm like... Please stop. <laughs> there was there was a, a a deodorant commercial for women, <laughs> and one of the one of the women they had was this lady standing up there, and she raised up their arms. And I'm telling you, she had more hair in her armpits than I do. And I was like, just this is gross. How crazy is this world? And yes, I know naturally. That occurs, but you know we've grown up into a society and we're used to a certain norm, and anything outside of that norm seems to be a little bit awkward. But that is just—I mean, oh, have you noticed it, or is this no. just then for again, some reason I've been the beneficiary of having to witness these unpleasant images? I, that I, I got to claim. Yeah, I got to give you, brother. I that—that's not one I've been paying attention to. So. I'll I'll ask my wife. Maybe she noticed it. I I haven't watched that much TV this week. It's I've been kind of distracted um, with other things at the, this week. I'm sorry. I can't keep a straight face now. Um, <laughs> well, that's it for me tonight, folks. I'll, I'll talk to you next week. I'm leaving on a high note. <laughs> oh, brother! You know the sad part about it is, is that <clears throat> I I would imagine there's probably some sort of um, gender ideology agenda behind that, as is most things these days. But uh, I, I can't, I, I know it exists, I know it's out there, and ladies, if that's something you choose to do, that's fine. I just don't think the rest of us want to know about it. Uh, and that's, we've just lost the entire audience at this stage. Uh, but <laughs> but I, I would imagine it probably has much to do with the, the ongoing discussions of gender ideology and gender roles. And my guess is you probably have a certain segment that feels, well, that's just enforcing a gender stereotype. And so therefore we're not going to do it. And we're just going to say, see here, this is what it looks like. Okay. I guess if that's what you want to do, then more power to you, but yikes, I, I'm, I'm glad I've missed all those commercials. Uh, so <laughs> on that, on that interesting note, um, I, that, that'll be, that'll be the light portion of the conversation tonight. Um, I will add this. Go ahead. I guarantee, 
out of all the podcasts out there, we're the only <laughs> ones to have ever mentioned women's arm hair. In the intro. <laughs> uh, well, brother, I'm, I'm glad you brought some lightheartedness to it because this is going to be one of those topics tonight. You know, funny thing was Rich and I were, Rich had even put out a poll. We were just trying to get some feedback on the things that you guys want to listen to. And uh, we were actually going to go a little bit uh, into some, you know, theological topics. Well, then, unless you've been living under a rock, you know there's only one topic that's been discussed at all this week, and that is the topic of abortion. Roe v. Wade potentially looking at uh, o- overturn. Uh, Fifty years ago, uh, you know, it, it was uh, seven men, seven white men. Interesting that how that's never brought up. Uh, ruled in uh, favor of a case in which said that uh, abortion cannot be made illegal uh, at any in any uh, in any state in the union. That it was a decision to be made between a woman and her physician and her family, and therefore everybody keep your nose out of it. And uh, thanks to what appears to be, I'm going to say, probably a very overzealous individual. Let's just put it that way. We don't know what position this individual holds within the Supreme Court, released the initial draft of what appears to be, the, and it seems that it's legitimate because Justice Roberts is calling for an investigation, has more or less said that, yep, that's a legitimate document. Uh, the initial draft penned by uh, Ju- uh, Justice Alito of a majority decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. In other words, pushing... Now, this is what I, folks need to re- be reminded of. Because the pro-infant murder people, and that's what they are, pro-infant murder, uh, have been screaming that an overturning of Roe v. Wade would make it uh, basically across the board illegal to have an abortion. Now, that is not what Roe v. Wade does. Roe v. Wade being overturned would actually push it back down to the states, and the vast majority of the states in the Union would probably still continue to have some form of abortion. Very few states, uh, a, minor, a minority of states, would make it illegal altogether. And hey, so, brother, yes, go ahead. Just, just for clarity, the last chart that I saw a couple of days ago listed eighteen out of all of our states. Only eighteen states would completely ban abortion if this yes. passes and was to go through. So, yeah, abortion would be banned in only eighteen states, and I think that's something that both sides of the aisle have forgotten because everything I see, they, they're using a cookie cutter across the board way of speaking. Like we're talking the entire country Mm -hmm. and yes, abortion needs to be done away with, but we need to remember that if this passes and everything goes through, like it appears, it would only be affecting 18 states. That is not enough. Yeah. It needs to be completely wiped out, period. Agreed. You're talking essentially a third of the United States would make it illegal, and uh, the remaining two-thirds would, by and large, uh, allow the, the medically permissible murder of children in the womb. And uh, if you don't like that we're referring to it that way, with all due respect, um, I don't care. Okay, I'm not trying to be mean. I don't care. If you told me that uh, the all 50 states were going to allow for the murder of six-month-old infants, I would have the same response. 
you know, and that's exactly, it's because what is in the mother's womb is in fact a child. It is a child uh, from the moment it is conceived. And if you have a problem with that, that is not my issue. I'm not going to have that discussion with you. I'm not going to argue with you. It is uh, conceived. I'd like to. Go ahead, brother. I'd like to bring up one other thing before we really get into Delph. Mm-hmm. And you kind of hinted at, you know, the the newly appointed Supreme Court justices, and I know you're heading in that direction. I would like to remind everyone that we cannot (laughs) underestimate the impact Mm -hmm. that 180 movie had on this country that was put out by Living Waters and Ray Comfort. Sadly... During the course of all this this week, I have not seen the single a single person resharing that video. 180movie.com. I'm not sure if that website is still current. I know that you can find 180 movie on YouTube and possibly on the Living Waters website. But at this point, if you're listening to this program and you are a Christian, I would encourage you start sharing that video again because that subject is on everyone's lips. It's flooding social media, so let's once again flood social media with 180 movie. Amen, 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 and we'll put that in the show notes if I can get my internet to cooperate. There it is. Uh, yeah, livingwaters.com slash movie slash 180 movie slash. So we'll, we will put that in the show notes as well. Definitely need to share that. I absolutely agree with you. Uh, that movie, which I think is a fantastic video, has, does a great job of addressing the the issue of what is this what are you what are you doing what is it what are you what are you actually doing in an abortion you're killing a child so i think it's a fantastic video i think also as science has advanced we have begun to realize what what they try to claim is nothing but a clump of cells um people who have done and i know the folks over at uh wretched radio have promoted this and i forget the, the name of the organization escapes me but there are uh organizations that are giving free you know, uh, ultrasounds. And when you see that child moving and you see that heart beating, you realize that is a human being. It is not a clump of cells. So those, you know, the advance of science, the uh, videos like 180, uh, you know, the, uh, the abolition movement, which we have talked about on this program where we are concerned about some of the behavior of the abolition movement, but their, their goals are laudable. And, and, and many of their arguments can often be very, very strongly biblical arguments. There's just a point where you can take, take it too far when you demand that everyone think and handle it in the same way that you do. Uh, in fact, we will put that in the show notes. It was uh, the episode putting abortion ahead of the gospel. But the efforts of abolitionists, the efforts of people like Living Waters, the efforts of uh, organizations that do ultrasounds, and the advancement of science has done so much to promote the reality that it is a child in the womb. It is a living being. And we're going to talk about that tonight. But the reason we want to talk about it is, and let me just say as an aside, and this is not necessarily a biblical argument, but it is a concern about what did happen. When someone in the Supreme Court takes private court correspondence and releases it to the public with the express purpose of causing massive public outcry, which is what it would happen under any given circumstance, for one reason alone, which is to influence the decision of the court, um, that is a major, major problem. 
And if you don't see that and you don't realize what happened here, you need to pay attention because those kind of things happening in the future will have grave consequences for the Christian church as people begin to take court cases uh, up in front of the Supreme Court, things like free speech, things like free, uh, the freedom to um express you know the freedom of expression in, in your religion uh the, the religious freedom all those things if the court can be unduly influenced by public outcry trust me this has grave grave consequences for the future uh, of our civil rights and the protections that we enjoy currently so question yes come with your background and what you know with the the person that leaked this information regardless of their motive Mm-hmm. But being held as bound as a court officer or, or an officer of the court, mm-hmm. regardless of whatever their position is, would it not be they not be prosecuted mm-hmm. in a criminal court for leaking those documents? Absolutely, because if you can establish that the purpose of leaking that document was to influence the outcome of the that, that final court decision, you are talking about interfering with the court. Uh, think of it this way. If you made a threat against a judge in order to have them uh, rule a certain way, or you attempted to bribe a judge to have them rule a certain way, you are attempting to influence the court to rule in a manner that you desire by doing some sort of outside act, some sort of outside pressure. And this is the same thing. There's been speculation. The biggest speculation is that this has been released by someone uh, on the more liberal side of the justices, perhaps one of the aides, possibly even a justice, but it's never been. We won't know until investigation is done, and I doubt a justice will ever be found as having done this. But let's just say it's one of the aides uh, that that, uh, work with the justices released it then the speculation is that that was done so in order to try and flip this 5-4 decision and have at least one justice decide, "Mm, maybe I don't want to rule that way and have it retain uh, Roe by keeping it, making it 4-5 instead of 5-4. Some have suggested this was, oh, no, it's, it's it's a conservative person within the Supreme Court trying to hammer down and lock down those uh, those conservative justices so they don't wiggle out because now now people have seen it. I think that's less likely. Uh, I think the public outcry is exactly what was wanted. I think what you see happening is uh, you're you know you've got some justices like uh, I think is uh, you know either Kennedy or Roberts. I think Roberts is the most likely one. People are saying that if with the public being. Uh, you know, going berserk, having the you know the uh, you know riots in the streets and you know massive protests outside the the homes of the justices. By the way, apparently Joe Biden doesn't have an official position on the doxing of uh, Supreme Court justices' residences, so that you can protest them, according to Jen Psaki. No, we don't have an official position on that, according to her. Anyway, uh, we're getting way off track here. Sorry, but yes, you're talking about uh, you know un, you're talking about outside pressure to influence a court to rule in a particular manner, whether it was conservative or, or liberal doesn't matter. You are using the outside uh, public opinion to try and influence the court. This is dangerous, dangerous ground, very dangerous, and anybody that's done this needs to be held liable criminally. So, anyhow. Let's get on to the actual topic at hand, and that has been the evangelical response to the release of this information. Now, Rich, you and I, and I think many, many others, have more or less were like, say what? You know, we were absolutely astounded to find out. Now, let me just say that the official ruling 
will not be announced until June. So you're probably talking at least a month and a half away at this stage. Um, that means anything can change. Everything we're discussing right now is presuming upon the possibility that this is going to be ruled and Roe is going to be overturned. Let's pray and pray and pray that God does in fact do that. So presuming that, uh, what has been the evangelical response? Well, most Christians have been extremely excited. Most Christians. Actual Christians, people who believe the Bible, people who believe that the Word of God is true, people who believe that God has knit uh, us together in our mother's wombs, they are excited. Uh, progressivist, leftist, uh, you know, um, Christian in name only individuals are losing their ever-loving minds and uh, talking about how terrible this is. But though... Those two expect, you know, those two responses are expected. We would expect that biblical Christians would be excited at the protection of life. We would expect that leftists who want to take the Christian church and turn it into a pagan center of worship would hate it. We we understand that and we expect that. However, and this is everyone's favorite subject, we're gonna get, we're gonna talk about the evangelical elites, the big Eva type mentality that is going on. And there were two particular responses that I saw, and I, I, I reached out to Rich and said, I think we need to call a, 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 a change in the game midstream here, and we're going we're gonna to go with a different play, and we're going we're gonna to talk about this subject because, and I, I hate to refer to at least one of these two people because we already kind of picked on her a couple weeks ago, <laughs> but we're going to talk about a couple of responses that happened that I think are indicative of the overall big evangelical academia intelligentsia response. One of which came from Karen Swallow Pryor. I know. I'm sorry. We have to talk about her again. She's not the. I don't. This is Karen. I don't think you'll ever listen to the show. But if you do, we're not trying to pick on you. However, your response is indicative of of some things that we we really need to address. The other was Russell Moore. Big shock. Russell Moore had a nuanced way of responding to things as well. So I want to go through some basic uh, things that happened, that, that things that were said, and give you two perspectives that are happening kind of the, in these higher ranks of evangelicalism. Because, again, we've said this before, the, the evangelical elites, the, the, the intelligentsia or academia, whatever you want to call it, they, they kind of want to be the rudder steering the ship. They want to be able to point Christianity where they think it needs to go. And I suppose if you're up at that level, that's something that you expect you should be able to do. Their responses, however, because of the following that they have, because of their involvement in the organizations or the schools that they're, they're in, is going to filter down throughout the ranks and will have an impact in years to come. So it's necessary to address these issues. So there were two particular responses that I saw. The first kind of falls uh, in, in the same camp where Karen Swallow Pryor had a response, and that was essentially a very tepid excitement, you know, acknowledgement that this happened. And it was tepid because of who made it possible. See, there, 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 there were three Supreme Court justices appointed during the previous presidential administration. And individuals like Russell Moore and Karen Pryor and others were very, very, David French, another one we've talked about, were very, very um, anti-Trump. Very vocal and continue to be. So there was a response, there was an, uh, there was a, 
let me just put it this way. There was a conversation of sorts on Twitter with Karen Pryor, and that conversation, I think, reveals a little bit about how those in that like uber-never-Trump camp are responding to this. The other side of it, which is represented by an article put out by Russell Moore, is kind of the social justice mindset, which is, yes, great, overturning Roe, fantastic, but insert social justice commentary. So those are the two things that uh, I wanted to kind of point to because, again, these are individuals who are attempting to steer the, the, the good ship Christian in the direction they think it should go. And so their responses are reflective of a great many people in those upper echelons, and they are the ones that will filter down through the ranks of Christian churches for weeks, months, and years to come. And so if we look at what they're saying, understand why this seems to be the case, and how we as Christians need to perceive this, I think that's a that's a discussion worth having. So before we go into into this, Rich, and start uh, you know going into these uh, these two areas, any, any thoughts about that? Well, um, I'm sitting there trying to debate on whether <laughs> what I'm going to present, whether I need to do it now or afterwards. Okay. I think I'll go ahead and do it now, um, and this will be brief. But I just want to remind our listeners. And this, and I, and I am applying this extremely hard towards Big Eva and these evangelical elitists who think that, you know, we did a show about how Big Eva paved the way for the, the mm-hmm. election of Biden. And we did another show on how the social justice, whole life, pro-life movement is trying to focus on, you know, critical race theory and social justice and apply it to abortion and the life of that unborn child. And Chris will put the show notes to a couple of these older episodes in here. But I just want to remind everyone, and especially not that any of these big evas will ever listen to this, but we need to remember there's no such thing as a Christian family unless everyone in that family are actually Christians. And there's no such thing as a Christian nation unless the individuals who compose that nation are all Christians. Now think about that. We have, you know, our entire lives referred to America as a Christian nation. It is not a Christian nation because not everyone in this nation is a Christian. Yeah. And it has never has been a Christian nation. But at one point in history, we might have considered this a moral nation, but... The problem is, especially since the 60s and 70s, people have opened their closet doors and have started parading their sin and parading their depravity. And I think, honestly, most professing Christians could care less about the sin in these people's lives as long as they went back and kept it behind closed doors. Because there's a huge difference between wanting a moral nation and wanting a Christian nation. A moral nation can be achieved by passing laws and enforcing laws that we had on the books back in the 40s and 50s and partially in the 60s. But in order to have a true Christian nation, that means professing Christians have to actually be about proclaiming the biblical way of salvation. And none of these big Eva types you ever that I've come across, and I could be wrong, and I'll admit that, 
but I never see any of them online actually proclaiming the biblical way of salvation. They seem to gravitate more towards cultural ideologies and sway more towards wanting to stay within the inner circles of what's going on in culture so they can reap benefits for themselves instead of standing firm on the Word of God and proclaiming biblical truth. Do you see that? Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. I, I absolutely agree. Um, there is, and it's one of the things I wanted to to get into about why I see these arguments. There is, I think, a concern about losing cultural capital, losing the seat at the cultural table. We often get told, and we'll we'll just touch on the the 2016 election with Trump and and subsequent 2020 election process. What what were we told? We're we're damaging our Christian witness. When your concern, your overriding concern is your cultural capital, your quote-unquote Christian witness, that's your overriding concern as, as opposed to the biblical way of salvation, as you said. It has an impact on how you then practice what you proclaim to believe. And I think that's what we're seeing here. So I, I agree with you. I, I do see that. Um so let's 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 dive in this a, a little bit. Start. Let's start with since I just brought that up. We'll start up with the um, the anti-Trump tepid response. Now, I feel bad because I it's I don't like seeming like we're picking on a particular person. But Karen Swallow Pryor had a, a conversation online, and it evolved into I think quite an explosion more than she expected and um and i think for i think for some in some ways of for a good reason it, it exploded um i do believe that she did not intend it to come out the way it sounded but given her responses it's understandable why people interpreted what she was saying as uh, the way they did so let's um let's address what we're talking about karen swallow prior had responded to an article talking about uh, Roe v. Wade and talking about, you know, 50 years from now, would you know, abortion will be unthinkable. And she responds and says, um, called it, you know, let me find it again. She says, uh, it, it was uh, from Vox.com, abortion rates are going down, pro-life, uh, where is it again? I just, just lost it. <laughs> I apologize. Abortion will be considered unthinkable 50 years from now. This was from Vox.com. This is what she was responding to. And she says, called it abortion will be considered unthinkable 50 years from now. And that started some conversation. Now, initially, an individual by the name of Brian Welch, who apparently his, his account is gone. I don't know if he just decided to close up shop because he was tired of the number of notifications or... Twitter made him disappear. I don't know. But Brian Welch, thankfully, someone did screenshot it. Carolyn Andrews, thank you. She uh, did a screenshot where he says, responding to uh, Karen Pryor, stop it. If this whole, if it holds up, it happened in spite of voters like you. Now, what is he saying? Remember, Karen Swallow Pryor, Russell Moore, very many others, very, very, very anti-Trump. 
2016, like, how dare you? And I, I'm going to put that caveat in there. We've said it before. Rich and I, back in 2016, we were not Trump fans. We did episodes saying, hey, this is not a good guy to vote for. But between 2016 and 2020, unlike many people like Pryor, Moore, uh, David French, and others, recognized what we thought was going to happen with him and what he actually did was very different, and we were willing to cast our votes for him in 2020. So Brian Welch taking Karen Swallow prior to task. because Why is that a Vox article out? Because of the leak on the Roe v. Wade decision that's coming up again. Pray that this actually goes through. So he is giving her, I think, some deserved kind of uh, you know uh, pushback saying, you're all excited saying that this is going to, you know, that abortion may be going away, but you were the one, along with many others, who refused to, not only refused to, and I'm, and I'm speaking for him, but they basically refused to vote for him and tried to push people away from voting for him. So this happened despite you. So don't sit there and kind of sit on your high horse. Again, again I'm paraphrasing, I'm inserting words into his mouth, but that's essentially what he's trying to convey. Karen's response is, yep, I was for the slow right way of doing things. That's why I said 50 years. I'm not big on shortcuts. Now, stop right there. Karen Pryor later released a statement because she just can't understand why people think she's okay with 50 more years of abortion. Well, when you said it could take 50 years and you're not big on shortcuts, Karen, that's exactly why people were upset with you. You may not have intended to convey you're okay with 50 more years of infant death, and, uh, and murder and torture inside the womb, but you specifically said you would prefer the slow, right way of doing things, and you anticipated 50 years to do that. So, um, I'd love, go ahead, brother. I, I, I would absolutely love her definition of the right way. Well, and I think the right way is what we'll see with Russell Moore's response. When I, when I say right way, I'm saying it a bit sarcastically. Um, it's that nuanced approach that doesn't make it straight up illegal. There is a hesitancy on the part of upper echelon evangelicals to want for or want the abolition and criminalizing of abortion. So there is a push to have a more nuanced approach and have what uh, I think it was Gospel Coalition came out today or yesterday, I can't remember, where they made a post where they said, we want, uh, you know, to make, uh, you know, we want to get to the point where abortion is unnecessary and unthinkable. Well, abortion is always unnecessary. Murder is always unnecessary. But it's that nuanced approach. It's trying to make it not criminal, but just unthinkable. So people just won't do it if we do it this way. And we'll touch on it with, um, with Russell Moore's argument. But that's what I think it is, is they don't, they, they don't want an overturning of Roe v. Wade in, a, in such a way that it suddenly becomes criminalized. So in her mind, voting for Trump was the wrong way. And I can tell you how, I, how we know that. So Carolyn Andrews, the person who shared the, uh, the screenshot, she had an a, uh, interaction with Karen Pryor when she said, called it. And so she asks her directly, in your mind, was voting for Trump worth the three SCOTUS justices that got us here? In other words, okay, do you think it's a good thing that these individuals, you know, that Trump was elected and 
and, and people voted for him because now we have these three Supreme Court justices that were appointed through his administration. And now, because of those three justices, we're looking at Roe v. Wade being overturned. So that's kind of the question she's asking her. Do you think it was worth it? I mean, you're anti, you're anti-Trump. You're a never-Trumper, Karen. Are do you think this was a good thing? Her response is, "I didn't vote for him, so no. That's why I thought it would take 50 more years. So it wasn't worth it in Karen's uh, Pryor's mind." Then she says that moral compromise will have its own ripple effects. She believes that voting for Trump, the Christian church voting for Trump, was a moral compromise. So she, in her mind, while she, she, does, she does have an article on a religion news services that she does say she rejoices for something she never thought would happen in our nation, which is the possible overturning of Roe v. Wade. She, she says this, and, and I'll put that article in the show notes as well. Um, just so you can go read it for yourself. She she does say it's a good thing, but she's unwilling to say those three Supreme Court justices, getting them in there was worth it, worth voting for Trump. She thinks it's just too much of a moral compromise. Carolyn a, a asks her further, do you think that the expedited end to Roe versus Wade was worth the moral compromise? In other words, okay, you call it a moral compromise, but was it worth it? I mean, look what came of it. Okay. Now, mind you, we've talked about pragmatism. We've talked about how that that can be problematic. We're not we're not enforcing pragmatism here. She's, I'm just telling you what she asked. She says, "Do you think it was worth it? Do you think the moral compromise of voting for Trump was worth it?" Uh, Karen's response: I think my first reply answers that question. It's a it's a moral compromise. She does she she is saying in her response to Brian Welch. She would prefer the slow right way as opposed to the moral compromise of voting for Trump, even though it meant, uh, you know, we may not have 50, have to wait 50 years to see babies' lives saved. Okay, so this is why people are upset with her. This is why people are saying Karen Pryor is fine with 50 years of baby murders. This is because this is how she publicly responded to direct questions. Go ahead, brother. I will add this, and I'm not defending Karen. Mm-mm. I'm just stating my own, my own opinion. At this point in time, say in the last 40 years, when we voted for a president, when was there not some type of moral compromise mm-hmm. committed by voting for that president? But what is more of a moral compromise, voting for Trump or voting for Biden or allowing Biden to be elected who is pro everything under the sun as long as it's not Christian. And, you know, she talks about this moral compromise if Trump, you know, by voting for Trump, but put it in this light. If Trump had been reelected, he now would have had four Supreme Court mm-hmm. justices nominated and be and on the bench. You know, he he nominated three, but as we've just seen Biden just nominated and then had one put to the bench who cannot even define what a woman is. <laughs> yeah. You know, Trump Trump had three put on the bench that had, you know, enough of a moral sense and logical sense and pragmatic sense to understand and be able to say, this is a woman, this is a man. But yet she's basically speaking against Trump and staying silent on Biden 
who nominates a woman who cannot definitively say who is and who is not a woman, which is the bigger moral compromise. I absolutely agree. And and, and to her credit, she she puts out a statement. I uh, see today is the seventh, so this would have been three days ago, being fourth. Um, she put out a statement because she did take so much heat for these responses. And she in, in that statement, she says, people are accusing me of preferring 50 more years of legalized abortion in our country because of a political decision I made in 2016. That's wrong. In 2016 and in 2020, I fought for life with my voice and my vote. I voted for a pro-life candidate, even if it was not the pro-life candidate others voted for. I have never voted for a candidate who is pro-abortion. So she 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 voted third party. Now we have said this on the show before. You vote your conscience. If she cannot if you cannot vote for Trump, you don't vote for Trump. I don't have an issue with that. She couldn't do it. That's fine. Here's the problem. That's not where it ended with Karen's statement. Karen said voting for Trump was a moral compromise and she basically applied it to the church. She said it's going to have its own ripple effects. In other words, yeah, maybe Roe v. Wade's getting overturned, but there's going to be other problems that come from it. And uh, ultimately, she said this was a shortcut. Now, her statement says she's she's you know uh, she is celebrating the possibility of Roe v. Wade being overturned, and I'm grateful she looks at it that way. But at the same time, she categorized anybody who did vote for him as having committed a moral compromise that they made a shortcut and they didn't do it the slow right way. So Karen's statement, now this isn't about Karen in particular. This is what Karen's um, direction of her statements lead us to. So let's let's talk about that, the anti-Trump sentiment. Here's what I'm not seeing from Karen Pryor and from other persons who are making similar arguments. I am not seeing any reference to God's providence even in her statement, she makes no reference to God's providence. In her article, she makes no reference to God's providence. What do I mean by God's providence? Let's, let's look at a few passages of Scripture. Get your Bibles open. Proverbs 16.9 The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. God's sovereign, uh, sovereignty in our lives extends to the very steps that we take. We think we're laying out our plans. We think we've got this under control. We may make our plans, but wherever we go, it is by God's hand and leading that we get there. It is according to his predetermined will. Let's talk about the uh, uh, when it comes to leaders in political power. Proverbs 21.1 The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. God's sovereignty, his providence, is even in the decisions that leaders, kings, presidents, political leaders make. God leads them where he wants them. Daniel, in giving praise to God as he prepares to give the interpretation of uh, King, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, in Daniel 2.21 says, speaking of God, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. So he removes kings, he sets up kings. 
So God not only plans our steps, he, no he not only guides the decisions of our political leaders, he raises them up and he takes them down. So Karen Pryor and others may have a real big problem with, with Donald Trump and say that voting for him is a moral compromise, but who put Donald Trump there? Now, mind you, who also put Joe Biden where he is? God raises up, God takes them down. So in God's sovereignty, in his providence, from 2016 when he was elected to the time that he left office, Donald Trump was God's appointment. God appointed him for that time. That is going to be a major uh, you know, uh, blockage in the, in the throat and a, a sticking in the cross, so to speak, of someone like Karen Pryor. But it's true. God raises up. God takes down. God, hey Chris, yes, go ahead. I'd like to point out, if you've actually read the Old Testament, Andy Stanley, and you go through <laughs> First and Second Kings, look at how many times it talks about a certain someone was appointed king and did evil in the sight of the Lord versus the number of ones that it talks about did right mm -hmm. in the sight of the Lord. Mm -hmm. I've never gone through and counted and compared them, but to the best of my recollection, there were far more that did evil in the sight of the Lord than did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Yeah. But the Lord himself allowed mm -hmm. each one of those men to be appointed king over Israel and appointed king over Judea. Amen. So we've got to remember that there's application in the Old Testament, and we have to remember that it's all in God's sovereignty. And I know people love to post, post the quote by, um, was it John Knox that said, when God wants to judge mm -hmm. a nation, he gives them evil rulers. Mm -hmm. But I think that is uh, John misapplied Calvin, into John Calvin. I think that's misapplied in today's world especially if you look in context of the first of the New Testament, truly today, at least when it applies to America, if God wants to judge America, he starts handing the people over to their own sin and to their own depravity, as we see with most of these presidents of the last couple of decades, especially when it comes to Obama and Biden, who promoted and fought for the rights of homosexuals and same-sex marriage and, you know, abortion and funding for Planned Parenthood and all these other organizations. But yet, whether Democrat or Republican, none that I know of in the last 20 or 30 years have fought against the rampant sexual immorality that's running across this country when it comes to pornography and, you know, everything that that entails. In fact, our current vice president, and it's not over with yet, has been fighting for legalized prostitution across the country. So what moral compromise mm -hmm. are we looking at with the current administration versus the previous administration? Yes, there's some on both sides, but the, the thing that remains Regardless of who is president, the Lord's hand is at work in allowing that particular person to become president, whether it be to punish the citizens of that country for their love of sin or to raise up 
a president that is actually a Christian to lead the country back away from its sin. And the point of all my rhetoric is this. We need to be praying for an actual Christian to be elected president. Amen. Amen. So getting back to what um, what Scripture says with regard to the establishment of God's sovereignty, or excuse me, the establishment of leaders and in God's sovereign providence. John 19, 11, Jesus answered him, speaking to Pilate, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he delivered me over to he, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. What is Jesus referring to here? Pilate said is basically saying, "Don't you understand the authority I have? I can release you." Um, he's saying, "You have no authority over me at all unless it's been given to you from above." So again, here is a political leader, the one who ordered Christ's death uh, via crucifixion. He. Christ speaks to him and says, you don't have your uh, the authority you think you do. The only authority you have, the power in it that you have, is granted to you by my Father. So the ability for a leader to do anything is within the hand of God. Romans 9, 9.17, uh, Paul writes, For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my, my, my excuse me, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Writing of Pharaoh, Pharaoh who enslaved the uh, the Jews, Pharaoh who poured greater burdens upon them as the plagues of Egypt were poured out by God. What does God say? I raised you up, Pharaoh. I raised you up, and, and Scripture also tells tells us that. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. He hardened his heart, which resulted in a greater oppression upon his own people. Why? So that God would be glorified. So a raising up of a wicked ruler, hardening that wicked ruler's heart to, create, uh, to give even greater oppression upon them, so that God may pour out his judgment upon the Egyptians, showing their, that their gods are no gods at all. So God raises up a ruler. For a specific purpose. And then finally, Romans 13, 1, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which is from God. The authorities that exist have been appointed by God. So again, I, this is why I want to address this. I do not hear from Karen Swallow Pryor. I do not hear from people like Tim Keller, uh, who, by the way, was saying, well, yes, the Bible tells me that abortion is, is evil, but it doesn't tell me the best ways to deal with abortion. Really? God is pretty big on, on murder there, Tim. I think we understand the answer to that one. Uh, but the point is, is that in God's providence... The thing that is going to drive people like Karen Pryor, David French, Russell Moore, Tim Keller, and others insane is that God raised him up. Now, again, I have to then say God raised up Joe Biden. What is God doing with Joe Biden? Well, we're going to have to watch and see. But one of the things that he's causing to happen is the Christian church is galvanized against this kind of evil and is galvanized against what he uh, the, the government has been doing. Praise God for that. But... God raised up Donald Trump as president. I don't hear her say that. I don't hear her give glory to God because we give glory to God when God raises up rulers, good or evil, or somewhere in the middle. 
Why? Because God will use that ruler for his own purposes to bring glory to his own name. And in the providence of God, what happened under Donald Trump? This does not negate any of the other discussions about Donald Trump. This is just about this particular issue. What did God do with Donald Trump? He appointed three Supreme Court justices that as far as we know at this moment, we still have a month and a, wait, a, month and a half to wait and see, who may be part of the majority decision that overturns one of the most horrendous injustices ever uttered by the Supreme Court since the Dred Scott decision. Dred Scott, by the way, was the decision that said a slave is not a person, therefore doesn't have rights as a person. Roe v. Wade essentially said the same thing. Babies aren't persons. Babies don't have rights to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Therefore, abortion is something that must be protected as a right to women to decide what to do with a pregnancy. God, in his providence, appointed a president who appointed three justices who may well be part of the majority decision to overturn one of the most unjust Supreme Court decisions in history. Why is this not being addressed? Why is Karen Swallow Pryor, why is Russell Moore, why did Tim Keller or David French not acknowledge this? goes back to what, Richie, you and I were talking about a minute ago. Cultural capital. Okay. If Karen Swallow Pryor gives that nod, then she loses something. If she says, praise God for his providence that these justices were appointed by a president that while I did not agree with many of the things he did or his character, and I believe a vote for him was not in the best interest of Christians, praise God still that this came. Does she say that? Not in everything I've seen thus far. Now, she's excited that Roe v. Wade seems to be getting overturned. Praise God for that. But she does not give glory to God for Donald Trump and the work that he did in this area. Because to do so costs you something in this day and age. To recognize God's providence in the appointment of a, of a particular president that you do not like, and to voice that costs you cultural capital. Remember, during the COVID lockdowns, it was Jonathan Lehman from Nine Marks who criticized Grace Community Church and, and uh, John MacArthur for wasting cultural capital. Why are, why are you fighting, your, uh, having your doors being closed? You're giving up cultural capital that you could be using down the road on bigger issues like the LGBT uh, you know, agenda. That's a paraphrase, but that's what he said. It was this giving up of cultural capital, the ability to fight a bigger battle rather than this little one that really meant nothing in the eyes of Jonathan Lehman. And I believe that's exactly what we're seeing here. Less concern about the sovereignty of God, less concern about his providence, less concern about what God accomplished in this instance, and Future generations will look under the presidency of Joe Biden and be able to say, this is what God accomplished under that president. And when, when God did this, this happened. We can't see it now. We're in the midst of the storm. There are some people who are much broader minded and much better 
at looking at the, uh, <clears throat> the impact of these things on the church than I'll ever be. And I'll defer to them. But the, we, the, we will be able to look at the presidency of Joe Biden and say, God did this, 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 and this in the church and brought glory to his name. That will happen. God's providence is working right now, even in the presidency of Joe Biden. So why can she not say that? Because it will cost her something. Because it will be perceived as giving something positive out of the Trump administration. And I believe that's one of the reasons why it's not, why it's not being addressed that way. <clears throat> even though it is clearly a biblical response. So, Rich, before I uh, move to the second one here, uh, any thoughts? Any thoughts on that? Well, my, my main thought, I'll, I'll wait in my closing segment, but I will say this. That statement by Tim Keller is extremely revealing in regards to his love for Christ because when he said that the Bible does not tell him how to put an end to abortion, He's missed the complete point of the Bible itself because the entirety of the Bible is God's revealing the redemption of mankind and the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if he does not see that in the entirety of the Bible, if he cannot see that the means to ending abortion is by God, through God, for God, in his word, by proclaiming his word, he has no business whatsoever claiming to be a pastor. Amen. Amen. And I think that's the big concern here. Why are we addressing this? So that we can dog on Karen Pryor again? No. Karen Pryor's arguments resonate with people. They're like, wow, we can't, you know, we, we can't give any acknowledgement to that. You know, we can't acknowledge that Trump may have done something good. I mean, he was a terrible person, and so they res it, it, you know, this, this resonates with people. But that's not a biblical response. The biblical response is that in God's providence, justices were appointed under this particular president who may well be used now to protect life. They may rule justly. They may rule righteously in their judgments here and protect life. We have to give God glory in this. And unfortunately, I'm not seeing that from her. Nor am I seeing it from many within that, those particular circles. Perhaps some have. I'm willing to be shown that. But I am not seeing it from her, and I'm not seeing it from the next one I want to talk about, Russell Moore. Russell Moore put out an article on uh, Christ in Christianity Astray. Oh, excuse me, today. Um, sorry, stole that from... <laughs> I've stolen that from... Uh, from Todd Friel, I, I got to give credit uh, accreditation there. Um, so he wrote an article under uh, under the public theology section called Ro "The Row Leak Spots Like Spotlights America's Crisis of Credibility," and he, uh, the subtitle is "Abortion and the Lost Trust in Institutions Are Two Parts of the Same Problem." Now there are a couple of quotes in this. Now Russell Moore points out the problem, the the lack of trust that comes as a result of the leaking of private you know, court documentation to the general public, ostensibly for the, uh, what appears to be an attempt to influence the decision of the court one way or the other. Now, I agree with him on, on that issue. It's the other side of this that I have a problem. 
and we're going to go through some scriptural <clears throat> scriptural reasoning as to why. So let me read you a couple of quotes with regard from, from this particular article, and again, I'll put these in show notes. With regard to abortion, Russell Moore writes, Moreover, the reason we have abortion at all... Stop right there. Rich, why do we have abortion in this nation? Because this nation is in love with sexual immorality. So sin, right? Correct. We have it because of sin. That's not what Russell Moore says. Moreover, the reason we have abortion at all is because of the loss of the sort of social trust that would enable communities and governments and the relig and religious bodies to care for women in crisis for and for children, born or unborn. According to Russell Moore, women and, uh, and abortion murderers, a.k.a. doctors, aren't killing babies in the womb because they're sinners. They are killing babies in the womb because there has been a loss of social trust between the governments and religious bodies who should be caring for women and the women themselves. That is hogwash. <laughs> Let me just put, put that out there right now. That is hogwash. Well, I will, <laughs> I will say this much, and I'm not defending Russell Moore. But that statement can apply to certain countries and certain areas of sure. this world that that would hold true with countries such as China mm -hmm. and some of the other areas in, in Africa and Nigeria and some of these other areas. I, but, I, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, but he was not speaking about mm -hmm. abortion on a worldwide scale which is the true pandemic, which is the true global pandemic. But he's speaking about abortion as it applies to the United States and injecting back to what we discussed a couple of weeks ago about how do you, how you word an article to lead people to a certain conclusion. Mm -hmm. He's leading into the whole woke social justice movement that has started infiltrating the pro-life movement. And it's exactly it. Rather than say we have abortion because of deep sinful proclivities which lead us to things like sexual immorality, sexual promiscuity, um, rampant divorce, rampant destruction of family. Rather, it's a, so a loss of social trust that would, that would allow communities, religious leaders... And government to care for women in crisis. In other words, because women in crisis don't have that care, that's what leads to abortion. That is what he's saying here. That the reason we have, and again, he says, the reason we have abortion at all, in other words, if, if we had that trust, if we had the ability to care for them in, these women in crisis, abortion wouldn't happen. That's hogwash. That's hogwash. Well, I'd like to point out what <laughs> One thing, and I'm, I'm going to divert just a little bit. Mm -hmm. I was reading this week, that, and the, the, the statistics vary, but for the most part, to adopt a child will cost a, will cost a couple roughly $50,000. In some statistics, it was up to 70000 Some were lower. There are, at any given time in the United States, 
up to 2 million couples waiting to adopt mm -hmm. a baby. And through different organizations and different grants provided by even the government itself and different organizations will help pay the cost of adoption. But there's a new aspect that has evolved in the last several, well, probably the last 10 years, where a woman can choose to put her baby up for adoption and legally be paid to do that. So the, the argument that these women can afford to have this baby, the argument that these women need this and need this, need this, actually that woman could choose to put that baby up for adoption, have the entire birthing process paid for, and be compensated at the end of that when it's all over and done with. Now, mm -hmm. I don't agree with it, but I'm just saying that is actually an option that is there today. Mm -hmm. Instead of killing that unborn baby, to put it down as simply as possible, you can legally sell that baby to a couple that is desperately wanting to yes. adopt a baby. Yeah, and, and I agree. It does exist, and there are means by which it can be done. But according to Russell Moore, here it is. Here these things happen; they exist. But no, it's the the women are killing their babies because the loss of social trust. We we need to do better about that. He goes on to say, referring to the mothers, but she is also dependent on those who recognize the responsibilities of the community to care for her and her, and her child. That is not only in the best uh, of circumstances, but also in the cases of the first century church called widows and orphans in their distress, James 1.27. So that, whole part, uh -huh. that whole part about the community, that reminds me so much of something Hillary Clinton oh, yes. says. Oh, yes. You know, and, and there's a reason why some people refer to Russell Moore as a political operative and this would seem to be the case. This is a manipulation of the word of the passage of James one twenty seven, which talks about you know pure and undefiled religion. Is this is to keep uh, to care for widows and orphans in their visit widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So he's saying that the again pointing to the reason for abortion, this loss of social trust, because he's saying the trust that's been lost with the court within the court and now potentially between the court and the country is comparable to the loss of the social trust between mothers in crisis who are pregnant but don't know what to do with their babies and the 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 community at large be it government religious leaders community uh, uh, etc he is saying that she is dependent on those who recognize the responsibilities of the community to care for her and her child Again, this is building the concept that the way we deal with the issue of abortion is that the community has to be responsible for helping care for the woman and her child. If the if the community is not is not willing to step up and resolve that issue, therefore abortion will happen. And then he says he uses James one twenty seven and kind of rips it out of its context to apply it to say, and church, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to take care of widows and orphans in their distress. Now, I'll get to this in a little bit, but understand there is no greater effort by any entity in the world than the Christian church's efforts 
to visit widows and orphans in their distress. The vol- but, Go ahead, brother. But as a whole, the last portion of that verse is cut off and wadded up, put mm-hmm. in file 13 and shredded and forgotten. Keep oneself unstained from the world. Exactly. Every Almost every time one of these big Eva types quotes that verse, that portion is always, always left out. They're not only taking a verse out of context, they're taking the context out of the verse. Exactly. And that's the problem, is he's not making, he's appearing to make a, a biblical argument, but he's making a social argument. He's making a, 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 a secularized social argument and slapping a Bible verse on it by saying it's a social justice issue. Abortion happens because of the lack of trust between women who are pregnant and the communities that should be stepping up to help them, including the church. But there is no greater organization for stepping out to do this than the Christian church. Between adoption agencies, hospitals, orphanages, etc., the Christian church has been the leading entity in these areas. So Russell Moore's argument isn't about the church stepping up to do these things because the church does. Ask the number of sidewalk counselors who are out there trying to beg, borrow, and plead whatever they got to do to keep a woman from murdering their baby. How many of them are saying, we know who will adopt your child. We have a person here. We have this organization that will help you. We have this. How many churches do this? But not according to Russell Moore. Go ahead. I'm getting off track just a little bit, but you and I both know many men and women that do sidewalk counseling that evangelize outside of abortion clinics Mm -hmm. and do it biblically and proclaim the Word of God, proclaim the biblical way of salvation. But the problem is when these young women, and some of them know what they're doing, don't care what they're doing, that's not the ones I'm speaking about. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about, say, a, a young girl, maybe in her late teens, that's gotten pregnant, that does not know what to do, that is completely confused. Her, She's scared her parents are going to kick her out of home, whatever the case may be. They go into this Planned Parenthood or this abortion center. That I know of, none of these abortion centers advises, teaches them, or even speaks about mm-hmm. the options when it comes to adoption. Their default is to say, well, you can have this abortion. It's just a medical procedure. There's nothing to it, blah, 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 blah. But do you know of any or have you heard of any abortion clinic that recommends or advises about adoption over abortion? I I know there are many places out there that are not abortion, abortion program or abortion mills that do. I, I, there's going to have to do some legwork. <laughs> You're going to have to look for crisis pregnancy centers. You're going to have to, you know, look online. I do. I know them personally. No, because I'm not working with them directly. But I know just about every place has crisis pregnancy centers, and a good many of them are Christian run, and are good many of them are looking to supply women with the needs that they have. Um, and just about anybody who's out there doing these these biblical means of proclaiming the gospel at these abortion mills, they have that information nine times out of ten. So, um, 
I didn't come into that with that information, so I wasn't thinking about providing. Well, I apologize. My, my my point is, you've never heard of a Planned Parenthood center? No, of course, advocating not. for adoption over abortion. Oh no, 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 and, and I apologize. I, I I understand where you're going now. No, they don't. They and they in fact they go out of their way to not say it. They go out of their way to not say it. Um, be in in, in fact there have been. I forget which state it was. There was some place that was actually trying to make it, I think, a law that you had to give information, and um, they, they, it was it was fought against. If I if I'm remembering it rightly, I could be wrong about that. I, I might be thinking of it backwards, and I apologize if I have. But uh, they 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 really do balk against the idea of providing any information other than than uh, you know abortion. In fact, oftentimes what you'll see is they'll say, uh, oh, Planned Parenthood, it's only 3% of what we do is abortions. We provide so many of our services like ultrasounds and MRI, you know, MRIs and stuff. Blah, blah. I, yeah, and, and I remember when that was uh, being promoted a few years ago, somebody started calling Planned Parenthoods and saying, well, you know, what about ultrasounds? Oh, we don't have that here. Well, we have to refer you to this. Okay, this call this Planned Parenthood. What, what about ultrasounds? Oh, we don't have that. What about this one? Oh, no, we don't have that one. Over and over and over again. They, they promote the, uh, 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 on the public surface that they provide so many other services, but the reality is they only have one answer, and that is murder the child in the womb. So, Russell Moore wants us to believe it's this so la lack of social trust. It's this lack of effort on the part of the church, but the church is already doing so much of this. So what is he calling for? One of his last uh, comments in the article, in fact, if in, if in fact Roe is overturned, those of us who are pro-life must work to convince our neighbors that we can that we can and will love and protect both mother and mothers and children. What is this? This is this is responding to the mythical oh you're only pro birth you don't care if the baby what happens to the baby after it's born. Nonsense, utter nonsense. Because as I said, the greatest work done in this area is by Christian churches or entities purporting to be Christian churches such as the Catholic Church and stuff. The outreach to help uh, mothers is so often a religious effort, but they don't want to admit that. They don't want to acknowledge that. And Russell Moore, of all people, should know better. In fact, he does know better. I know he does. There's no reason. He wrote a whole book about adoption. The man knows that the Christian church is, in fact, very vehement about reaching out and providing for those in need. This is more about that social trust. How do we establish social trust? If we're if if they don't think we're doing it, what would we else would we need to do? Oh, I don't know. Maybe he means getting the government more involved. Healthcare, right? All these other things that the social justice minded Christians call for. The people who are saying, oh, well, if you want all these babies to be born, you're going to have to have universal health care. You're going to have to have uh, universal wages. You're going to have to have this. You're going to have to have that. That's what he's talking about. He's calling on the, he's, he's, he's pricked the conscience of the Christian church, so to speak, by saying, well, the reason they're murdering their children in the womb is because we're not doing our job. We're not living up to it. We're not helping care for, which is wrong. 
It's demonstrably wrong. It also rejects the biblical truth about why murder in the womb happens. R.C. Sproul Jr. on Twitter said, abortion is saying in quotations, abortion exists because of insufficient care for the abortion-minded equals murder exists because insufficient care for the murder-minded or rape exists because of insufficient care for the rape-minded. Gospel compassion for the, for, repent, for the repentant, of course. Denying responsibility of the wicked, never. In other words, he's responding to just this kind of thinking. You know, his his argument he's basically drawing out out a a logical conclusion. Oh well, abortion be, uh, exists because there's insufficient care for those who are thinking about killing their children. Well, that makes about as much sense as saying, well, a man who commits a murder or commits a rape because there's insufficient care for those who have this on their mind. In other words, you still by by disconnecting the act this evil act from being an evil act and giving it a social justice reason by saying abortion happens because we haven't cared enough for the, the mother in crisis is equivalent to saying murder happens because we don't care enough about murder, serial murderers. It's a, it's, it rips away the one's personal responsibility for the evil that they've committed. Now, I like what he says gospel compassion for the repentant of course we ha we come alongside we we tell the mother you're about to murder your child we don't want you to murder your child we don't want you to do this great evil we come alongside you we want to help you here's the gospel here's the lord who will forgive you for even considering this here's the and if you've done this in the past here's the god who loves you who will forgive you and make you his own for this and by the way we have come alongside you to help you which is what the church often does so yes, we want to do those things as a church. We don't, by the way, abdicate that responsibility to the government or some sort of social justice or uh, you know, or secular humanist entity. That is not there. We're not going to cede that over to them. We're going to come along and do what the church has always done. But we don't then whitewash it as Russell Moore has done here and say that it's not really a sin. It's just because the the society has failed them. Why does abortion happen? Genesis 6-5 The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was e only evil continually. Jeremiah 17-9 The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jesus speaking in Matthew 15, 18, 19. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Why does abortion happen? Why does murder in the womb, why, do we, why are infants in the most vulnerable stage of their life mercilessly killed because out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Russell Moe's dead wrong. Abortion doesn't happen because of a lack of provision, although it may be a reason a person uses. 
It is not because of a lack of social trust or the belief that the community won't be there to help raise the child, though again, that person may say that. It's not because a woman believes it is not an actual baby in there and it's some sort of going through some sort of transitional evolutionary phase, though again, that may be why they justify it. It may it, They may indeed be afraid and they may be scared and not sure what they're going to do, but that is the reason by which they justify what is the evil in their heart, which is to murder their child, or quite simply what we see over and over again in video after video of a woman screaming into a microphone, I have this great life, I have this great uh, uh, this, this uh, great career, I have millions, I have record deals, I have this business prospect, I graduated college, all because I murdered my child. It's sin. Sin is what causes this to happen. Abortion is the result of sin-sick hearts. You don't change sin-sick hearts by giving them more opportunities. How do I know this? How many people, how many women have gone and had abortions not because they didn't have the means to care for a child? How many women have uh, gone because they wanted to finish their their college education. How many women have gone because they, it would have interrupted my career right now? How many uh, husbands or boyfriends have encouraged it because, hey, we don't want to have children. We want to travel. The, a baby would destroy that opportunity right now. How many women or, uh, or boyfriends have encouraged women to kill the babies in the womb because, hey, we don't want to be responsible for a child. We just wanted to sleep around. It happens every day. And while there's not a whole lot of tracking that anybody really wants to admit exists about the reasons for abortion, probably the greatest number have been out of convenience. It isn't because every person coming into that Planned Parenthood is scared to death. They're not going to be able to provide for the child and the, and the community is not going to be there. The rea stark reality is great many people, Rich, you, you said it earlier about our issues with uh, sexual immorality in this nation. They simply want to have recreational sex and they don't want to have the responsibility that comes with it. And now we have people like Russell Moore shaking our, his finger in a disapproving manner saying, we've got to do better to let them know that we care. That we're going to be there for them. How do we address? How, how do we convince people that that's a life that should not be murdered? Psalm 139, 13 through 14. For you formed my inward parts. This is uh, written to God. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. God knit that child together in the mother's womb. Jeremiah 1.5 Before God speaking to Jeremiah before I, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. God not only creates the life in the womb, but has determined the path of that person's life. That person has value and worth to God because God knit that person together in the womb and determined 
who they would be and where they would go and what they would do. Yet God has quite the quite the response to those who would take innocent life. John, Genesis 9, 6, Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. The very God who knit the child together in the mother's womb, the very God who has ordained that child's life, has made that child in his own image. When we kill a child, we are killing a creation made in his image. He has a very dim view. And God does acknowledge that life exists in the womb and that there is a penalty for those who would harm that child. Exodus 21, 22 through 25, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her child come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined as the woman's husband shall impose upon him and he shall pay as the judge, judges determine. You cause an early delivery before the child was ready to come out. You're going to pay for it. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Whatever you did to that child up to including the death of that child in the womb, you will repay in kind. That was the law to the Israelites as they were to go, uh, as they were preparing, if they left Egypt and they were preparing to take, uh, be taken into their own land, which then 40 years later finally happened because of their own sin. We don't live under the, the law of the Israelites these days, but we do have the same God. The God that said to the Israelites, if you cause a child to come out because you fighting with the husband end up smacking the wife and she miscarries that child, your life is forfeit. In other words, causing a woman to lose a child in the womb. God knit life together. God knits life together in the womb. God consecrates that life and sets its path. God calls for the blood of those who would kill, kill those made in his image and even will say life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, and so forth. We call life what it is, life. We do not sugarcoat this. We do not nuance this. That's what Russell Moore is doing. This is a nuanced argument. This is the Tim Keller, well, the Bible doesn't tell me the best way to prevent abortion. Yes, it does, Tim. Right here. It is a very serious matter to take a life. It is a very serious matter to treat life as so worthless that we can just dispose of it. It is a serious matter that we don't think it's uh, that we can treat it as something to just ah it's birth control and it is a serious matter when the church concerned about its loss of cultural capital would rather nuance this argument to death make it die a death of a thousand qualifications rather than that 
make the strong, firm stand that this is life and it is precious. It is created in the image and likeness of God. And we dare not, dare not take the life of that child. And I know that neither Karen Swallow Pryor, nor Tim Keller, nor Russell Moore, or any other of their cabal would ever make this argument of a six-month-old child outside the womb. Would Russell Moore ever argue, well, you know, there's this lack of social trust in the, com the community, the government, and the churches aren't stepping up, so if the mother can't care for that six-month-old, she can kill it. Of course he wouldn't. Of course he wouldn't. Tim Keller would never say, well, you know, infant murder outside the womb of a six-month-old child is a sinful and terrible thing, but the Bible doesn't tell me how to stop that. Of course he would never say that. Karen Swallow Pryor would rejoice and throw confetti in the air if the Supreme Court appointed by any, <laughs> any president ruled that you cannot murder a six-month-old child. It is the issue of nuance. The issue of, we've got to find a better way to make this sound acceptable to the world. We don't want to we don't want to lose our seat at the table by appearing to be okay with what Trump did. We don't want to call it a crime because that might mean prosecution and yeah, that just doesn't go over well with the focus groups. We don't want to call a mother who murders the child a murderer. We don't want to call the husband or boyfriend who leads them to them and pays for it, or the parents who do so, an accessory to murder. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says it's sin. The Bible says it's wrong, and you put a stop to it, and you hold people accountable for it. As was said in Exodus, you cause the death of that child, you will pay. These are wicked, evil days in which we live. And the Christian church, at least by those who are professing to be its guiding rudder, want to nuance this into oblivion. And I honestly find that extremely unacceptable. Now, not every person has to be out on the street corner holding signs about babies being murdered here. Not every person has to be involved in the political process. Not every person has to be running a crisis pregnancy center. Everybody has a way in which they can be involved. And just as a, uh, you know, there are many gifts within the church to edify the body of Christ, there are many ways that all of us can have some sort of involvement, even if it's just a conversation in which we tell someone what the Word of God says about it. That's how you address it. You tell the truth. And you do so unapologetically, but you do so proclaiming the biblical way of salvation, as my brother just said a little while ago. Let me tell you this. There is forgiveness for people who murder their children. That's a shock, isn't it? Christ died to save sinners 
among whom are women who have murdered their child, children in the womb, husbands or uh, good-for-nothing boyfriends who have led these women to these places, the sidewalk uh, uh, you know, abortion, abortuary protectors who guide women into the doors, the women behind the, the, the desk that set the appointments, the people who schedule them, the people who convince these young women to do so, the abortionists themselves. There is forgiveness for this. We preach the biblical way of salvation so that hearts may be saved and they are new creations and they turn from such an unthinkable, horrific, despicable act. But what we don't do is reject God's word, reject his sovereignty and his and his provision. We don't qualify things out of existence and we don't nuance everything to death so that we can keep our cultural seat at the table. Russell Moore, Tim Keller, and others need to repent. But Christians, we are just as guilty when we are afraid to say something. We don't want to offend, and I get it. We don't want people to get angry with us. I get it. It's really hard. It's scary to step up and say, this is murder, repent. But it's what we're called to. We are called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ with tears in our eyes, if need be. (laughs) With broken hearts knowing that we ourselves are so undeserving of the grace of Christ for our salvation. And yet we proclaim to them the very means by which God redeemed us. And we do so that they would, you know, that they would come to be in right relationship with Jesus Christ, be forgiven, and not do this despicable evil. Yes, church, step up. Yes, church, provide for those in need and in crisis. By all means, we've been doing that for generations and continue to do so. The fight does not stop. One thing Karen Swallow Pryor does say in her article is absolutely true, is if Roe v. Wade is overturned tomorrow, the fight does not stop because it goes down to the uh, the, the states. And as Rich said, guess what? A mere 18, a third of the, uh, of the states in this nation will uh, immediately make it illegal. Millions of babies will still die. The, the fight is not over. But do not be misled by the Priors, the Moors, the Kellers, and everybody else to think that this is that these that God and His provision. Don't be misled to think that that's not an, an amazing in His providence. It's not an amazing thing that this may be overturned. Do not think that because you haven't done every little thing that the Russell Moores of this world tell you to do, that somehow you can have no voice about abortion. And don't think that you can't call sin, sin, and call for its abolition, and it's made illegal because Tim Keller and his ilk think that, well, there's better ways. Rich, I think I 
<laughs> may have stepped on some of the things you were going to say before we closed out. Let me let me turn this over to you. I've just started rambling. I, I apologize, brother. <laughs> this this completely fine, brother. And to re reiterate a couple of things that you said, but maybe worded a little bit different. The biblical way of salvation is never nuanced about sin. The Bible is never nuanced about how God, how Christ defines sin. The Bible is never nuanced about the penalty of sin. And I'd like to point this out, and you, you take it for what it's worth, but I, I stand behind it. Satan doesn't care how much or how hard you fight against abortion as long as the biblical gospel of Christ isn't proclaimed. Satan doesn't care if you're fighting and speaking against abortion or how you're voting about abortion. What Satan fears is the biblical way of salvation because that cost him his followers. Because if you're in sin, you're of your father, the devil. And I want to point out Ephesians six twelve. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We can only fight against spiritual forces with a sword of the word of God, which is the biblical way of salvation. And I'd like to state this, that sadly, is it, and this is a sad truth, but it is reality. Satan has far more for, Satan has far more faith than a professing Christian or the ungodly who supports abortion. Now, the next portion of this, I'm going to paraphrase from Spurgeon and those that follow me. I had mentioned that I'd share those notes in today tonight's show, and this is it. And this is quoting from one of Spurgeon's sermons. There's a great deal of difference between faith and faith. One kind is the faith of the head, and another is the faith of the heart. Some men have all their religion in their head. Like poor, miserable, poverty-stricken students, they confine their religion to their head, and there they let it feed upon some dry thought or empty speculation. But the faith of the true Christian occupies the best parlor of the heart. It has its citadel in the innermost part of his being. It dwells at home in his inmost soul. The devil himself has the faith of the head. He believes and trembles. He is as orthodox as many very learned divines. As far as the mere statement of theology is concerned, I could trust the devil to draw up a creed. I believe he is thoroughly sound and that he knows a great deal more about God's word than most of us do. He can quote it correctly when he pleases, although he is adept at misquoting it for his own ends. I do not think that the devil I do not think that the devil ever was an Armenian or that he will ever be one. He understands the doctrines of grace, at least in his head in his head too well for that. In one respect he is better than some antinomians, for they believe and presume while he believes and trembles. Still, Satan and antinomians never would be very great enemies. I wonder that they talk about. I wonder that they talk about the devil tempting them. I believe that they tempt themselves, or that they tempt the devil to tempt them, if he really does tempt them at all. Yet the devil hates much that he believes with his head. 
There is, for instance, the doctrine of election. Ah, says he, I'm not able to die the truth of that doctrine, yet I hate it, for I know that I'm not one of the elect. It is the same with redemption. The devil says, I loathe this doctrine. I know that Christ has redeemed his people with his blood, but I'm not one of them. The cross of Christ is glorious, and I'm obliged to admit its power, for I have felt it often, and I'm yet to feel it more and more. But I hate the cross, for it crushes me and takes multitudes of my subjects away from me. I know that Jesus is the Son of God. I wish he was not, and if I could, I would tear him from his throne and cast him out of his dominions. So you see, the devil believes with his head much that he hates with his heart. Sadly, among Big Eva, those exact same words could be applied to them if you remove the word Satan and intersect Big Eva name in those particular points now was that not very powerful amen very powerful the power of what we proclaim is not as you said is not in nuance the power is in the truth of the word that's what we proclaim and we must have genuine Saving faith in Christ alone, knowing that it is through His Word that we were brought to salvation, the proclamation of His Word by which He regenerated us, He redeemed us, He brought us to repentance and faith. Yo, you can have all the, the head knowledge in the world. Does no good without a changed heart. Like you said, brother, reading from Spurgeon, Satan has all that head knowledge and more. He's, I forget who said Satan was a better theologian than any of us. If we would truly honor and serve God, it must be that we have genuine faith that we don't do these things of our own accord, but we do them only in the power and strength of Jesus Christ through the power of His Spirit informed by His Word. We have no ability of ourselves to do these things. It is He working in and through us. We put our faith in Christ for our salvation. It was by His Word that we, would re we are redeemed. Why would we proclaim anything else? Why would we worry about nuance? Why would we worry? Of course we don't become jerks for Jesus. We don't want to be in a, a, an obstruction ourselves. But we, <laughs> the Word of God is a rock of offense. You can't qualify it out of existence to where people go, oh, I guess I can agree with that and ha have no idea what they agreed with. It is right and good to proclaim the biblical truth in the faith that God will do what he intends to do with it. And we do it in such a way that we ourselves are not the obstruction. We do so with tears in our eyes with fervent prayer, with a genuine desire to please God, glorify His name, and save sinners. And we do not compromise. Please understand this. Understand the words that we are saying. You 
do this. You do what we're saying. You proclaim the truth in love and you stand firm without apology. You are not the offense. You are not the obstruction if you do this. Don't let individuals like Moore and Keller and others, you know, the David Frenches of the world, tell you otherwise. Proclaim Christ and Him crucified. Proclaim the sovereignty and um, the providence of Jesus Christ. Rejoice when you see His work. Call out sin and preach against it when you see it and call people to repentance. Don't fear the intelligentsia and the academia. They have nothing to offer but nuance. And the only reason they want nuance is they want the spotlight, the place at the cultural table, the ability to say they steered the good ship Christianity into the, safely into the harbors of the culture with great fanfare. That's not Christianity. That's an abomination. <laughs> Didn't really want to have to talk about this one tonight. Kind of felt like we had to. But we wanted to address this because I just see what's going on. And what happens at those higher levels filters down. And you can see it in the conversations with professing Christians online. So, all right, Rich, any last thoughts before we let our folks go tonight? Well, I'll close like I do each week. Whatever you do, make it a point to proclaim the biblical way of salvation at least once a day. Amen. Amen. Folks, heavy topic. Seems like we've been doing a lot of those lately. But lots of heavy things going on. Uh, really appreciate your time appreciate your consideration really appreciate your feedback um last last week's episode with um michelle and amy actually sparked a fair amount of conversation most of you were pretty pretty nice about it i know one of you reached out to me privately because you didn't want to start an, ar uh, an argument online and got no issue with that either um appreciate that appreciate some of the candor uh i know some of you took issue with some of the things we said if you can be, as long as you're being respectful, I, I I got no problem with it. Most of you were, some of you, some of you not so much. Um, but then again, given given where some of that conversation started, I'm not too surprised by those couple of individuals. But that's that's a separate issue. Um, but you guys reached out, you, you you guys talked to us, and we appreciate it, and we hope we hope to hear from you on this. Um, you're going to hear from a lot of people in the in the days and weeks to come, especially if this decision does go through. Um, expect a huge amount of hate for the Christian church if this does go through. I mean, massive amount of hate if this goes through. Um, stand firm. Stand firm. Proclaim the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your um, prayers. Thank you for being a part of our family. We really appreciate it. You guys are awesome. So, uh, as Rich said, whatever you do, find someone to preach the gospel this week whatever you do do it for the glory of god we will see you 
next time. God bless. Good night. We'll see you then.